This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're starting the story of Sinbad the Sailor, and we'll learn all about the therapeutic benefits of screaming poetry at strangers. And don't let being completely unqualified and not very smart stop you from following your ridiculous dreams. It might just make you unimaginably wealthy over and over again. The creature this week is a little squirrel thing from France who just wants to teach you some life lessons with his uncomfortably hot body heat. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 71A, Venture. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. The story today is from a collection known as 1001 Nights. It was collected over the course of centuries by many different writers, and we've actually already told two stories from it, Aladdin and Alibaba. Today's story is set right in the middle of the Middle Ages, in a largely Islamic society, and the story takes place all around the Middle East and parts of Asia, with Sinbad living in Baghdad, in modern-day Iraq. Sinbad the Porter's back ached. He was getting too old for this. Well, anyone would be too old for this. His job was lugging heavy things around Baghdad on his head. With the noonday sun beating down on him, he could say he was having a tough morning, but really, they were all tough mornings. His back and neck screamed under the weight until he had to take a rest, until he had to sit down. He passed a manor, and he was hit by the cool, sweet-smelling air that wafted from inside. He was ahead of schedule, so he shrugged. Why not rest in the stranger's home without permission? What could go wrong? He laid his burden down on a bench and sat back. Even though he should have just enjoyed the cool air and a few minutes respite from way too much weight compressing his spine, he started to check out his surroundings. A discontentment began to grow within. His situation couldn't be more different from whoever owned this house. He toiled daily for just enough means to live on, but this person obviously sat back in luxury. They were both humans, with the same sort of soul, yet Sinbad the Porter's life was vinegar, and this person's was wine. Still, there had to be a plan behind it, a reason. Far be it from him, a humble porter, to impugn God. Like most people would do while technically trespassing on private property, the porter began complaining about his lot in life, loudly, and in verse. When he was finished, the porter felt a bit better. Sure, he was still a victim of crushing inequality, but screaming some poetry to no one in particular really helped to put things in perspective. Steadying the items upon his head once again, he was about to stand when he heard a young man huffing and puffing his way down the stairs. Hey, you, wait, the young man called out to the porter. Yeah, you, the only person in this room. Uh, can you come here, please? The well-dressed page stood staring at the porter, who, if there's a spectrum for sweatiness, was definitely a few shades closer to drenched. The porter stood slowly and walked toward the page. Yeah, so were you the one seen just now? The page asked. Well, it was non-rhyming free verse, so if there was a musical quality, it was solely due to the sounds produced by the words. Sinbad the porter corrected. Okay, so the answer is yes, the page replied. So... My master is actually in the room right above you, having lunch with a lot of important people. 
the porter suddenly became very grim. So they... Yeah, the page interrupted. Both these stairways go up there, and they could hear you through the window. Given the acoustics of the room, your words about how some people have it so easy and don't have to work were very audible for a group of people who have it so easy and don't have to work. Anyway, my master would like a word. The page could see the porter hesitating. Look, buddy, the page said, I feel for you. I'm a page. My dad was a porter. I get it. I don't know what he wants, but I do know that you'll be in more trouble if you run. So just go up there. I'll watch your stuff while you're gone. The porter knew he didn't have a choice. He did not know what would happen, but if he left his burden and ran, he would risk angering two noblemen. It was better this way. Hopefully. Sinbad the porter ascended the stairs into paradise. He had never seen a hall so amazing. The table in the center held an array of foods from all over Europe, Africa, and Asia, and the owner must have been well-traveled because the treasures and oddities from all around the world decorated the walls of the hall. There were magnificent instruments played by slave girls, quote, arranged in proper order, which I'm sure there's some cultural context for it, but that sounds a little weird. The porter looked at the man sitting at the far end of the table, with a beard tinged with gray, and bowed low. The master laughed and told the porter to stop all that nonsense. Come, sit at the table and eat. The porter knew he wasn't worthy, but an order from a nobleman was an order from a nobleman. If he had to sit at this beautifully arranged table and uh, eat this delicious food, he supposed he would. So, what's your name? The master asked. And what do you do? Uh, well, I'm Sinbad the Porter, and I'm a porter. I carry stuff in my head for money. Guess I could have just said Sinbad the Porter. No way, the master said, nearly spitting his drink out of his mouth. Your name is Sinbad? My name is Sinbad. People call me Sinbad the Sailor. We have so much in common. I mean, the porter started, looking down at a plate worth more than he would make in his lifetime. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can think of a couple differences, but they're small. That poem you recited slash yelled outside. Mind saying it for me? And the assembled group of nobles that basically own the city? Sinbad asked. The porter tried to get out of it, but Sinbad the Sailor wouldn't have it. The story in the poem reminded Sinbad the Sailor of his own journey. And, if it wouldn't be too much to ask, with the implication that he wasn't really asking so much as commanding, would the porter please recite it for the room? Sinbad the Sailor said he would make it worth Sinbad the Porter's while. Not having many choices, Sinbad the Porter once again recited the verses, describing his misery. At the end, Sinbad the Sailor sat back and smiled. Like I said, our stories are so similar, you have no idea. Oh, the porter asked, so... You were born into crushing poverty, watched everyone around you fall victim to it, and currently live out your days clawing out a living solely to survive, but sometimes even that isn't enough? Well, no, Sinbad the Sailor said. I was actually born rich, I wasted it all, and then went on thrilling adventures. Basically the same thing, though. Anyway, sit down. I'll tell you all about it. Wait a second. Is this a framing narrative? The porter asked. Yeah, you didn't know that? Sinbad the sailor said. Well, no, the porter answered and continued. Wait, so I'm not even a main character? My whole reason for being here is a setup for the stories of your adventures? Pretty much, Sinbad the sailor said. Thanks, by the way. Now on with the stories of my adventures. What, what am I even looking at? Young Sinbad the sailor's friend asked, staring into an empty room. This was the room where my money was, 
Simbat said. And where is it now? The friend asked. Uh, a bigger room to hold more money? We had to get one of those. No, man. It's gone. I'm out of money, Simbad said. Wait, what? You, you can run out of money? The friend said, panic and bewilderment hitting his face in waves. I know, Simbad said. But what are you going to do? The friend asked. I don't know, Sinbad, who was just barely holding it together, nearly roared. The friend looked at Sinbad with a mixture of horror and disgust. He, he couldn't be here. A place where someone ran out of money? He didn't know this was a thing, but he didn't want to catch it. The, I guess, former friend backed away quickly, before breaking into a full sprint, leaving Sinbad's house. Sinbad had been born into the family of one of the richest merchants in Baghdad and wanted for nothing. But his mother died at a very young age, and his father died about a decade later, leaving Sinbad, in his late teens, the only heir to the family's largesse. He figured out way, way too late that in order to make more money, you had to do something, like work, or lend the money, or invest the money, anything. Sinbad did nothing but spend the money on friends, clothes, and food. He set himself up as a rich man, and figured that everything would just work itself out. I mean, he was a rich man. What was he going to do? Not be rich anymore? Well, that's exactly what happened. Sinbad ran out of money in just a couple of years, and became a persona non grata among the upper echelons of the city. Finally, Sinbad was faced with a dilemma. He hadn't been able to afford his massive mansion for a long time, but now he couldn't even afford a humble normal-sized mansion. These were truly dark times. He finally decided to do something. He couldn't just wait around in Baghdad to die in shame of not having vast amounts of wealth. He watched the ships enter and leaving the port every day until it came to him. That's what he would do. He would travel abroad and explore the world. He would become a sailor. So, do you have any prior experience as a sailor? The captain asked, looking at the rich kid who wanted to sail with him. Nope. Sinbad said without hesitation. Okay, so do you at least know how to sail? Like all the knots and sails and stuff? Nope. Have you ever been on a boat? The captain continued, sitting back and stroking his beard in frustration at the kid who was wasting more and more of his time. Nope. Well, what do you have? Why should I let you sail with me on a long and dangerous voyage into the seas of folklore? I have a lot of money, offered Sinbad. Welcome aboard, the captain boomed, offering a handshake. Sinbad, right? Well, now you're Sinbad the sailor, because you're going to go with us and hopefully not touch anything. Also, sailing is super dangerous. I'm going to need that cash up front. We'll get back to Sinbad making horrible decisions right after this. Sinbad heard something. Was it screaming? Nah, couldn't be screaming. For the past few weeks, he had sailed the oceans. They had traded a bit, and he had seen some of the ports to the south of his home. Nothing big. Now, though, they were out on the open ocean, and they had found a deserted island to stop and explore. The crew told Sinbad to maybe stick close to the boats, where the other guys were setting up stoves to camp for the night. But Sinbad just scoffed. It's a deserted island, guys meaning that there wasn't anyone on it. Duh. 
they clarified that they were just guessing that it was deserted. This is folklore. There could be an... Uh, oh, okay, he's gone. Well, we got his cash already, so let him do whatever he wants. Sinbad, deciding once again that he should do something dangerous despite having no experience, education, or talent for it, left the crew by the boats and ventured out into the dark forest by himself. Not too far from the boats, Sinbad started to hear screaming, which he immediately assumed was not screaming, and kept walking off alone. It was screaming. That was when the earthquake started. The sailors had made a disconcerting discovery. It happened when one of them built a fire on the ground, and found that the ground smelled awesome. Also, it was moving. A guy digging found that it wasn't water flowing out of his hole, but blood. The island was not an island at all, but a napping whale, who had fallen asleep for so long that trees started to grow on its back. Seeing as having a group of men on your back inadvertently cutting and cooking portions of you is not conducive to REM sleep, the whale had woken up and was now super angry. The sailors realized the danger as the earthquake started, followed by water rushing in from all around them. The whale was diving. They had to get back on the boats. Sinbad noticed his shoes getting wet and was a little annoyed. They were one of the few things he had kept from his rich kid days. He loved those shoes. He looked up just in time to see a tidal wave coming in his direction and promptly forgot all about his shoes. As the island sank, rushing currents pulled Sinbad into the darkness of the water. Something smacked him in the face and he instinctively grabbed it as it passed. His body screamed at him to take a breath and luckily the thing he grabbed was floating. It was bringing him to the surface. Sinbad broke through the surface and greedily sucked in the air. He was alive. Now, he had to figure out what had happened. Well, after he found the ship. Oh, there it is. And it's going in the other direction. Huh. The captain, having lost half his crew, was speeding away from the whale as quickly as possible. The captain felt bad about his crew that hadn't made it in time. But if the whale came back for revenge for lighting fires on its back, then they would all die. Sinbad looked at what he was holding and found it to be a wash tub, a wooden one. Treading water, Sinbad somehow managed to empty out the tub and climb aboard without capsizing the thing, which, yeah, I get that the island was just a whale, but let's just appreciate how impossibly difficult emptying and then boarding that little tub would be in this situation. No one else had survived in the water, and that night was a quiet one for Sinbad. There were no sounds, save the rhythmic splashes of the waves against his tiny vessel. In the fetal position within his tub boat, and after spending a whole day under the harsh sun, Sinbad knew that this was it. He was lost at sea. Best case scenario, his remains would wash up on some faraway coast. His thirst would finally kill him. And wait, what was that? Sand scraped at the bottom of his boat as the waves beached him on the shore of yet another island. He had been drifting slowly toward it for about a day now, but just hadn't seen it because he hadn't done the strenuous activity of turning his head around. Well, all right then, Sinbad said, and got out of the tub. As far as islands go, there were worse ones. Sinbad found a fruit tree, and after several days, had recovered his strength. He built a small lean-to and decided to look around the island. He walked to the other side, where he saw a horse, tethered to a post on the beach. This is where it gets confusing for me, as the narrator. Sinbad approached the horse, and the horse whinnied. And Sinbad shrieked and ran away. It was while he was running that Sinbad heard the words, Who are you? 
Where do you come from and why are you here? Sinbad turned around to see the sand parting and a strange man rising to the surface. Sinbad stopped running, turned around and said, Hi. The strange man cocked his head. Wait, so you ran in terror from a perfectly normal horse making a standard horse sound. But when a creepy stranger rose like a ghost from the sand, you were cool with having a conversation? Yeah, why? asked Sinbad. It just seems contradictory. I don't know, the stranger said. Anyway, as I was saying, who are you? Oh, you know, I was on an island that sank. I lived in a tub for a little bit, and now I'm here. Basically your classic castaway story, Sinbad said. Nothing about that sounds normal, the guy said. Anyway, please follow me, a creepy stranger that emerged from the sand on an island you believe to be deserted, into my underground lair. And Sinbad did that, because Sinbad makes great decisions. Sitting in the firelight of a crackling torch, Sinbad told the stranger all about the boat trip and his experience in the tub for a few days while Sinbad ate the stranger's food. Then, and only then, Sinbad asked the questions all of us would ask in the situation. Only, we would ask it before going into the stranger's house and eating his food. Sinbad asked the stranger who the stranger was and why he was living in a little subterranean room on a deserted island. The stranger explained that he was in the business of rare and exotic horses, and business was good. Basically, the filly tied up on the beach was about to be a mom. In minutes, a seahorse, but not that type of seahorse, was going to emerge from the sea and mate with the filly. After however long something like that would take, the sea stallion would try to pull the filly into the sea. Since normal horses have a hard time breathing underwater, it was up to the man to chase off the seahorse. Half seahorses were super expensive, so after that, and an 11-month gestation, providing for a safe supernatural horse birth and transport back to his kingdom, the stranger was going to be so rich. Then, through the sand above, they heard the filly shrieking as the seahorse tried to pull her into the ocean, just as the stranger said he would. The stranger grabbed his sword and buckler and rushed to the seahorse, who immediately fled into the water. After that, seven other strangers emerged from the forest, also leading their now pregnant fillies. Sinbad repeated his story about eight more times, and the inhabitants all agreed to help him off the island and take him on the next ship to their king and sole customer of their supernatural horse-breeding empire, King Mirahan, as opposed to just letting him starve to death on the island, as they usually did with strangers. Awesome, a trip home, that's, that's a freebie, Sinbad said. Yeah. Your whole life kind of seems like a freebie. One of the strange horse breeders chimed in as Sinbad boarded their ship. Sinbad was a bit annoyed that no one at the port had ever heard of the city of Baghdad. So he decided to stay with King Mihrahan a little bit, who was entertaining a bunch of people from India. Sinbad took this time to educate himself on the details of India's caste system, just because, before taking some time to sail around the islands. On his trips, he saw a fish that was 400 feet long and various other fish with the faces of owls, among other stuff that is, quote, strange and wonderful. After disembarking back in King Mihrahan's city again, he decided to walk around port, talking to all the various peoples that happened to be docked there. But this time he saw a new ship and asked what they had in their hold. As it turned out, they were also from Baghdad, the first crew that he had met in a long, long time, though they too were lost. They said that they had a successful trading venture that made them all obscenely rich. They had lost a lot of people in 
kind of a shipwreck, though more of an island wreck. Anyway, the captain asked, you're from Baghdad, right? So whenever we get back, we need to look up this guy. His name is Sinbad, and we need to give his family all of his stuff. We were joking around about calling him Sinbad the Sailor, and he didn't realize that we were actually making fun of Captain? What? What a coincidence, and a conveniently easy way to wrap up my first adventure. Wow, okay, I'm Sinbad. The captain narrowed his eyes. Hmm, nope. This Sinbad guy was a complete doofus rich kid. Besides, you're wearing different clothes and have a beard. Men don't simply grow beards and change clothes over the course of several months. I don't know who you are, but you're not going to get the riches of this guy we barely knew and didn't like. Okay, wow, a lot of stuff coming out, Sinbad said. But I'm him. I gave you a lot of money. I was on the whale island. I survived in a tub for a couple of days. It's me. The captain narrowed his eyes again. People couldn't simply make stories up. This, this guy was the real deal. The rich doofus had survived. The captain congratulated Sinbad on surviving and going through a character-defining ordeal to overcome hardships and become an adult and mature as a human being. I mean, let's not go that far, Sinbad said. Where's all my money? So I can go back to being rich. And Sinbad returned to Baghdad, where he resumed being rich. He bought houses that exceeded his father's and did a modicum of work to invest his earnings so as to not dip into poverty again. Then he bought slaves, servants, concubines, and other human beings, which, okay, and partied so hard with his friends that he forgot his toil, hardship, and life lessons that he had learned abroad. Older Sinbad the sailor sat back at his table. Most of the nobles had filtered out of the room, and just he and Sinbad the porter were left. Sinbad the sailor said that this was the first of seven adventures, and when Sinbad the porter returned tomorrow, he would learn the second. Sinbad the porter explained that, well, sitting in a cool room and being forced to listen to a story was awesome and all, but he had to work. He had already lost a whole day's income because Sinbad made him stay. Sinbad chuckled. Oh, money? Was that it? That's something I have a little bit of. You see, I'm really rich, Sinbad the sailor said. Yeah, I mean, we've established that, like, a lot, the porter said. Well, one day of your peasant work, what, what can it cost? Sinbad the sailor asked. 100 gold pieces? <laughs> One day, that's more like three years, the porter started, but stopped himself. Yes, yes, that is exactly what the cost of one day's work is for me. A little low, but I'll survive. Sinbad the porter sat down to the best breakfast he had ever seen, let alone eaten. He told those rich nobles exactly where they could put all those heavy items that morning. He just had to sit here and listen to the stories of an out-of-touch rich dude. At this rate, he might never have to work again. So there I was, rich, powerful, and famous, asking myself, Sinbad, are you happy? And then I laughed. Of course I was happy. I was rich, powerful, and famous. But then I asked myself the really important question of, was I interesting enough to tell cool stories to strangers? That's, that's what was missing in my life. So I did the only thing I could think of. I leapt aboard another ship. Sinbad the sailor explained, while munching breakfast with Sinbad the porter turned Sinbad the story listener the next morning. So Sinbad left. This time, Sinbad the sailor was a successful merchant, so he loaded his own goods aboard his ship for trading. When they stopped a few times, made some money, and eventually landed on a deserted island, where Sinbad went off by himself. Wait, again? Sinbad the porter chimed in. What? Why would you do that again? After what happened last time, this is, like, the same thing. 
It's not the same thing, Sinbad the Sailor cautioned. The island wasn't a whale this time. Did they leave you there alone? Sinbad the Porter asked. Sinbad the Sailor paused. Okay, the first and second adventures are similar, but they're not the same. And yes, they did leave me on a deserted island. Mm-hmm, Sinbad the Porter said. Okay, so there I was, starving and alone, on a deserted island in a completely different situation than last time when I was starving and alone on a deserted island. When I saw it, up ahead, there was a mysterious subterranean dwelling, Sinbad the Porter said, just before taking a victory sip of his water. What? No, no. It was a mysterious mountain dwelling. Totally different. Just listen to the story, Sinbad the Sailor said. So Sinbad approached the massive dome on the mountain. The climb took the better part of the morning, and he had to huddle in a rock crevice for the night, not having any way to make a fire. As his stomach groaned the next morning, he hoped that whoever had built this dwelling was home, and nice, and super cool about giving him a ride home, like those horse guys from last time. The next morning he was standing outside the massive dome, but he couldn't find the door. He pounded on the outside, again and again, and walked all the way around it. It was a sheer wall. He didn't know what to do, and collapsed in exhaustion and despair. Then, the sun went out. Sinbad was pretty sure day lasted longer than four hours. I mean, sure, islands were weird, what with copious amounts of owl-faced fish and other stuff, but this was kind of a stretch. Then, he heard the sound. The sun hadn't gone out. It had just been blocked. Sinbad squinted and saw its shape barely visible, and what sunlight was able to get around it. It was the rock. No, not that rock. This rock was a bird of prey, from Arabic and Persian folklore. Needless to say, it's quite large. Sinbad described it as big enough to block out the sun, saying it fed its young with elephants for breakfast. The young, it seemed, that lived inside the egg that Sinbad mistook for a dome on the top of the mountain. What? Sinbad the porter said. Yeah, see, totally different. Sinbad beamed and continued on with the story. It wasn't totally different, though. Sinbad buried himself in the nest surrounding the dome, slash egg, that he had just now noticed. He feared for his life. He was so small, this bird could destroy him by accident. But his size would actually be the thing that saved him. The bird didn't even know Sinbad was there. It had landed on the egg and fallen asleep. Sitting in terror under the sleeping rock, Sinbad had a maybe terrible, maybe brilliant idea. He was going to fly. He was going to die here anyway, either from starvation or the bird finally taking notice. He might as well go for broke. He snuck toward the sleeping bird and unwound his turban and gingerly tied it around the bird's leg and then just kind of hung out until the bird awoke to go hunting. He winced, bracing and holding tight to his cloth as the bird flapped and flapped, pulling himself airborne and not noticing the human hanging from his talons. Sinbad traveled over seas and mountains and deserts until finally the bird landed in front of a massive angry serpent. Sinbad was already in the process of getting himself untied when they landed, so he was able to run away from the whole thing as fast as he could. Both the massive bird and the Yormagander-sized serpent too occupied with killing each other to notice little Sinbad. Wait, so you not only survived, but you got to see a sweet giant monster fight? The porter asked older Sinbad back in his dining room. Sinbad the sailor nodded. Wow, 
you are really lucky. Like, suspiciously lucky. Anyway, who won? The porter asked. The rock won and flew off with the serpent's limp body dangling from its talons. But Sinbad wasn't that lucky. He looked out across the valley where his bird lift driver had dropped him. Oh, he had made a horrible decision. For miles and miles and miles in every direction, the rocky, desolate valley stretched on. Unlike the island where he had tethered himself to the bird, there weren't any trees, water, or shelters here, and night was quickly falling. His stomach growled. He hadn't eaten in days. He had saved himself from one fate to find himself in a far worse one. Then, he remembered. The rock had come here for the snakes. What if the giant one that the bird killed wasn't the only snake in the valley? That's when, in the twilight of the fading day, Sinbad began to see the eyes opening in the darkness all around him. Snakes. Why'd it have to be snakes? That's where we're going to leave our very fearful hero this week. Hungry, thirsty, and in a desolate valley filled with giant snakes. But he's Sinbad, so he'll probably just turn this into an opportunity to become even richer. I want to say thanks to JBC1934, The Reviewer222, Colopork, CPM Ga, Kyle123355, B Dunks, Dead Judge, TML for Life, B Gardener1, Scootercillas, Riley Tate, OSU Rebel24, Richie Ingram, Shadow Wu, Cal Dillon, and Dork Knight39 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so, so much for not just listening, but for taking the time to go write a review. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of five cat butt magnets, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that won't give you a face full of cat butt every time you reach for something in the refrigerator. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Muscalet from France. It's a squirrel. Kind of. In fact, it's one of those animals that's a mix and not really match creature from the bargain bin of creation. It has the body of a rabbit, the ears of a weasel, hair of a pig, legs and tail like a squirrel, snout like a mole, and teeth like a boar. This really great looking creature that definitely makes sense lives up to its squirrel namesake. It runs around in trees, bouncing from branch to branch tigger style with its springy tail. The creature isn't just a disgusting little monster running around in the forest, it's actually devastating for the forest. It harms any tree it comes into contact with because of its intense body heat. Now, I just thought that the creature was like a really cool fire squirrel that ran around setting things ablaze and let me just say that forest fires aren't cool, but a fire squirrel kind of would be. Unfortunately, the creature doesn't even have that going for it. It's just uncomfortably hot for trees and will cause any tree it stays in for too long to dry out and die. It's said to be a symbol of human pride, which destroys the soul, which sounds lofty and interesting except that your soul is some random tree, and the pride in this metaphor is a hot little squirrel pig who just stops by to take a quick nap. It's a beautiful, profound analogy. So don't be prideful, and keep those hot little pig squirrels out of the birch tree of your soul.
that's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring us this week. For a great shave at a great price, join Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month the Executive Razor and a two of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. You can get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash legends. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so, so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.